Hi there, church family. It's good to be with you today through this podcast, being able to look at our sermon from this past week. We've been in the book of 1 Timothy together now for a few weeks. We're in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. And this is a passage, as I said in the sermon, that has been thoroughly examined throughout the years. Uh, It has caused controversy plenty of times and continues to do that and great discussion uh, amongst different scholars and also churches of how this applies to their church life. But 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, it says, I desire that then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam is formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So, in tackling this passage Uh, We just took it verse by verse, uh, did our best to do that, but to ground it in something, which is connected to what Paul does there at the end of grounding it in creation. I did read from Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, because it wasn't too long ago that this passage would have been controversial uh, just because of what it says about women. But now I think it would be controversial because it mentions the word women, and you have to define what that even means in today's culture. And so in Genesis chapter 1, Verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so we see in creation that God creates male and female, and he creates them uh, to be complementary. Uh, we see more of that in Genesis chapter 2. Uh, and you can read that on your own if you would like to. Uh, but that is an important distinction as we get into this section, because in our society today... Um, and we all know this, the lines are starting to get blurry between gender, which is a weird thing to say and a weird thing to even think about. But it is so true, isn't it? Uh, What is a man? What makes a man a man? What makes a woman a woman? And again, I'm sure for many listening to the podcast, if you're listening to the podcast, you would say these are easy answers. But if you went and asked this question in the world of academia, if you went to uh, campuses of universities and asked this question, you would find people very uneasy in answering that question of what makes a woman a woman. And uh, it's not just about biology. It's not just how you were created. Now it seems to matter uh, what you think, how you feel, um, and what you determine. And... In this section of Timothy here, Paul is really pushing against all of that because he's clearly laying out that God has created two genders, male and female, that they each have roles and responsibilities that they must adhere to in order for, one, the church gathering to be successful and to be God-honoring, but also in other places in Scripture, he talks about it for family life. He also talks it about for society uh, to function and, and work. And I think we see some of that, don't we, in our society of how things start to fall apart 
when you let these basic premises start to fall apart as well, you start having discussions you never thought you would. Like, is it fair for a boy to swim against the girls? Well, is that really a boy? <laughs> right? That's then the question that comes up. And it's like, well, I don't even know how we got here, but we are here and we keep going deeper and deeper, it seems, into this confusion because of sin and not wanting to honor the word of God. <clears throat> and so, sadly, uh, that has crept into church life as well. Um, <clears throat> it takes some time normally, but no doubt in even our church, the feminist movement of the 1900s definitely has permeated the thoughts and minds of most Christians today, even within the church, to where a passage like this that we just read is very uncomfortable because we think of uh, equality for women. And when we think of that, we think of it in terms of society's definition of equality and what that should look like and what that means. And so now passages of the Bible become uncomfortable to listen to, and it's because we've allowed society to determine our definitions and what is right and what is wrong. And we have to be careful uh, not to do that. We want to take the Word of God and we want to treat it as the Word of God. We want to interpret it well. We want to know what it meant to the people who it was written to a couple thousand years ago, but we also want to know and understand what does it mean for us today? How do we apply this to our, to our life? In a passage like this, it's very important that we do that well. Um, and do it correctly, that we're not bringing in preconceived notions from our culture or from what we would desire it to say, uh, but instead let's say what it, what it does actually say. All right, so Paul starts out in verse 8 talking to the men, and he tells the men <clears throat> that his desire is that they, in every place, men should be praying, uh, but he gives us a posture of prayer of lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. <clears throat> holy hands without anger or quarreling. Uh, so any thoughts on this from you gentlemen here? I had to preach this message yesterday. I think it's only fair you guys do most of this one today. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I thought I like the, how the, the point you made about, I never thought of this before, like the, the idea of holy hands, you know, it's almost the contrast that, you know, he's saying to the men, you know, specifically in that context in Ephesus, you know, your hands should be used for holiness as instruments of, of, of holiness, not for anger or quarreling. Because if you think about hands and the significant of hands, you know, it's like, especially, you know, with men, it's like, you know, hands can be used to, to, you know, to hit, you know, to punch, um, fighting, quarreling, um, you know, kind of that passion. And I think Paul's making a good contrast is like, you know, rather than that, that's what the culture is doing, you know, using their hands in a very sinful way. You are to lift your hands in a holy way, giving reverence to God. And, uh, and I thought that was really a, a good uh, point you made as far as like help kind of kind of focusing on that word holiness as a means of like you're set apart you're not like the culture around you and, and quarreling and fighting so don't do that in the church be an example you know as godly men so I thought that was really good I never thought of it that way so it's good anybody else with that part um, <clears throat> men are prone to obviously anger and quarreling but also partially a lot of that also is because of rivalry mm -hmm. uh like you brought up the competitiveness because you're competitive with your wife <laughs> um but it, men can be competitive and, and full of rivalry uh, you can read this similar idea 
Um, here from the book of James, what causes quarrels, chapter four, verse one, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, which is interesting, right? So notice again, he ties in anger and quarreling with the fact that you're not even praying, mm-hmm. which yeah. is exactly what Paul's talking about. Yeah, prayer. Right. Um, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Um, so uh, James here connects even even there, uh, quarreling and fighting and the inner desire ultimately for supremacy, um, for self-exaltation, to be the best above other people, particularly here, men fighting with other men uh, for supremacy of some sorts for yeah. whatever reason that is. And so ultimately, uh, we're dealing with... Um, uh, a very deep heart issue um, at work here, and so Paul is 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 calling for these men to come with an appropriate. You can't come and ask rightly from God if you're coming to prayer to ask for things wrongly to spend it on your passions, and so you have to come with a humility um, and with a uh, a brokenness for your own sin, but also a trust in God's grace, and then that actually will bear fruit in um in the uh, gracious acceptance of other people um, which you see lifting holy hands without anger and without quarreling and so um, but prayer is the thing that directs us to that i don't think it's incidental that prayer is connected to that because um what happens is is we have to look to christ we have to look to him because we are insufficient and prayer actually should be one of the most humbling things and one of the most comforting things we do in worship mm-hmm. because we're realizing we are insufficient in ourselves. And uh, one of the problems I have, at least, is I typically think that uh, I am more than sufficient for a lot of things, and that's why God has to uh, prick that um, bloated head I have with a needle um, with the law or with sin or failures in my own life to show me that, um, nope, you you have not arrived yet. You still need the Lord. And... Um, and that's what that's what prayer does, I think, um, often in our lives. Yeah. So what we see in verse eight isn't necessarily this uh, action that we are to be taking. I don't think this means that when we pray publicly in the gathering, that all the men should raise their hands. They should wash their hands. I do think that's an important thing. Okay. I do. That's fine. I know you do. I do. Okay. Sure. We have soap in the bathrooms. And some of them, probably. Some of them. <laughs> no. And I disinfectant. I think we do. Okay, go ahead. But as you mentioned, Paul's dealing with the heart of the matter. All right. And so we talked a little bit Sunday about how when we approach God in prayer, it shouldn't be done nonchalant. It shouldn't be. We need to understand what we're doing when we pray. Is we, we have the right, because of our mediator, which he had just talked about, we have the right to go before the throne of God and to speak to God and Again, that's not something we go to with dirty, unre- unholy hands. We we want to wash ourselves up, and so there needs to be uh, a check of our heart as we are praying. And again, it's showing how prayer is to be central to the service, to the time when the church is gathered together. And it says in all places, this could be a reference to the fact they're meeting in homes, meeting in different spots. Uh, that's what I would think it probably means. Um, just as they gather together in all these different places, you pray, right? Pray and and deal with your sin. 
uh, in doing so. Uh, and I think that's important again, because it, as we get to the section, when, it, when Paul talks to the women, um, it's not a literal transa- translation. You have to see what is Paul talking about and what is he, what is he dealing with and what is he getting at? Especially when it gets to verses nine and 10, <clears throat> when, uh, Paul is talking about what women wear. Cause he says, likewise in verse nine. So there's a connection mm-hmm. with verse eight, uh, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women uh, who profess godliness and with good works. So um, the likewise thing, again, is connecting it, and we see that, okay, if it's a heart thing with the men and the prayer and like their sin and the stuff that they struggle with, and now he's saying likewise with the women, there's, it's got to be similar. It's got to be the same thing. But now with the women, he doesn't go to quarreling and anger and fighting. Instead, what he deals with with this particular church at this time is what they are wearing as they come together to worship. And so this is where it takes some research and some understanding of the culture and the time and the city that this church was in in Ephesus with the Temple of Diana or Artemis. It goes by both. Mm-hmm. Um and what they would do in that temple, right? What would happen and what would take place? Uh, if I remember right, it's been a little bit since I studied that part in depth, but uh, was that like a fertility? Mm-hmm. Part of it was fertility, yeah. God, I think. Yep. Um, but within it, um, there were like, there was a lot of sexual things that would happen in the mm-hmm. worship at this mm-hmm. temple. And so there were prostitutes and they were prophetesses and stuff that they would call them who would adorn themselves with with gold and with braided hair and with exactly what what Paul's talking about here. Uh, And it would, too, be an allurement uh, to the people who would go there to worship. It was also to please their God, but it was also for sexual, Mm -hmm. you know, for sexual attraction. And it seems as if this started to permeate the the culture around Mm -hmm. to where maybe it was common for women to start to want to look like that. Right, because me, I don't know. Maybe then women were sought after or highly thought of because they were in the temple and serving in the temple. And so, what Paul is dealing with here is when when we come to worship together publicly, just like the men have to check their heart and don't be fighting, don't be quarreling. That's not what we are here for. You need to be praying with these holy hands, ladies. When you come, you don't come to draw attention to yourself. Right, you're not coming here to adorn yourself in a way so that everybody will will look at you and and gawk at you or notice you. No, you need to be modest in what you wear when you come here uh, to this public gathering. Because again, the gathering isn't about you; it's about it's about God. Mm-hmm. Right, it's about us coming to to worship Him. Um, what's your guys' take on nine and ten? Any thoughts? on it there or even reflecting to the sermon yesterday if you can remember it i'm always impressed how you guys remember some of the sermon i i just want to say how how thankful i was and just encouraged because you know you brought the context out and i think that's why this this text can be as you as you kind of shared just um you know um 
contentious because I think so often maybe it's it's plucked out of the context and it's like, oh, so are you saying that women can't braid their hair when they come to church, you know? And and knowing the context, and I and I think that that's you did a, a, just a, a great job at that kind of just expounding that and knowing like okay this is this is something that you know Paul's writing to a particular you know church church churches group of people who are living in Timothy specifically or you know uh, encouraging Timothy specifically as pastor in a city that has this this is the the issues at hand right and I think that was just well said because um, again because of the context we can't people can't you know women or whoever can't make the the leap and say oh so now i can't you know i can't um look nice you know come to church or whatever um and that's you were like no this is this is the issues that were going on and so i think it makes it, it makes a good uh tie-in from the like the the word likewise it's you know that as an adverb used here in, in greek it's it kind of flows into that statement paul's like okay men here's how you are to conduct yourself. Women, here's how you are conduct yourself. Don't, like Romans 12, right? Don't conform to the world. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Rather, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so I thought the context, the contextual stuff is so important, you know, and I remember studying that and learning that too, and how encouraging that is when you know that because it's like, okay, then you see the bigger picture. So that's good. Yeah. I, Honestly, I think it would be easier to just have the rules here than what is actually being taught. It'd be easier to say, okay, when I come, I can't braid my hair. I can't wear gold. Uh, these are the things I can't do. Other than that, I can come to church like this. But that's not, yeah. that's not the point, right? Or for us as men. Okay, so I can't get in a fight. I can't yell at anybody. All right, I just won't do that. I'll wait till I step outside. Right? I mean, I'll wait till, I'll wait till it's over, and, and then it's fine. But that's not that's not what it is happening yeah. here. It's actually much more difficult than that because it's challenging it's challenging your heart. And mm-hmm. so what he's talking to to the women here is really it doesn't matter what you are wearing, but are you wearing this with a purpose other than coming to worship God to be noticed? Mm-hmm. Um, today, it'd be the opposite. You dress down so much that you're noticed. I want to be so cool that I don't care. Look how much I don't care. You know, it would be something like mm-hmm. that. Um and, and I'm sure in our day and age, we could write other things in there other than braided hair and this and that. We could write things saying, you know, don't wear this and don't wear this, which is going to catch everybody's attention, which would make it much more relevant mm-hmm. uh, to women today. Um, but this is where lines honestly start to get blurred in our society because nowadays men are just as guilty of try, trying to dress to impress oh. at times oh, yeah. uh, than maybe ever before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, again, we just see... Paul dealing, though, with the hearts and speaking specifically to the men of some sins that are particular to men, and at this time speaking to women of some sins that mm-hmm. are particular to yeah. women uh, with their with their dress. Yeah, I was going to say, and you were talking about having, it'd be nice to have some rules, and it's easy to focus on the things that are forbidden here by Paul, mm-hmm. but he does also give positive instruction of, here's, here's what is permissible, here's what you should do. He just says, with uh, should adorn themselves with respectable apparel, uh, with modesty and self-control like those are those are things that are encouraged not forbidden right and so it's principles that are present not necessarily rules of like it's got to be made like this it's got to do this it has to meet this certain standard it's no what's respectable what's modest what demonstrates self-control what uh, what ultimately is a picture of good works in their mm-hmm. life mm-hmm. and you know so it's like it there is positive instruction here 
as not just mm-hmm. negative. Yeah. And I think exactly. sometimes we focus so much on the negative. Yeah. Oh, you're saying I can't do that. You're saying I can't do that. You're saying I can't. No. Mm-hmm. Here's what you can do. Yeah. And again, I want us to make sure that our mind is focused on this is at the public gathering. This is what we're talking about is when the church is gathered. There's nothing wrong with going for a night on the town uh, and dressing nice and looking nice. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't think that's yeah. what Paul is, is getting at is getting at here at all. Uh, it's speaking specifically to the to time when the church gathers together with the sole purpose of we've come to worship God and honor him today, to pray to him, to sing to him, and to hear to him, hear from him from his word. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think it was Beg, Alistair Begg was talking, he's like, what you wear out there, I don't care. <laughs> it's like, but it's in here, right? This That's what Paul's dealing with. Now, don't get me wrong. There's probably inappropriate things to wear out in society, too. I'm not saying that. Yeah, just as men, it's not okay for men to quarrel and fight outside of church, but not inside of church. Right. There's There's got to be some kind of consistency of life. There is, but yeah. I just like that there is a difference of when the church gathers yeah. than when you're going to watch your kid play a sport, mm-hmm. you know, or you're going out to dinner with your husband. There is a There is a difference, and you need to respect that and you need to honor that mm-hmm. and that's what paul that's what paul's getting at here mm-hmm. uh again dealing with the with the heart of the of the matter uh, with the ladies okay so then it goes on to the best part so far been easy the best yeah. <laughs> so far it's been easy <laughs> now we get to the difficult part okay i do not print a, a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man rather she's to remain quiet go I think you skipped oh, I verse 11. 11. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. You know what's really hard when I read like this? Only my left eye can see the Bible, and this is blocked by the microphone. And so Here, it's let, like me show big, you. let me show you something. I know. I should Wait. just move hey, it. Hey, watch this. Watch this. Watch this. I should. No, no, no. Then my face isn't in front of the microphone. <laughs> I got to do this. I got to pick it up. That's much better. Sorry. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. So the first thing is a positive, like Scott had said, to let a woman learn, uh, which would not have been permissible uh, most of the time with the Jews or in culture, because learning was always associated with teaching. Why would you learn unless you were going to teach? There was no need to do that or have authority. And so the women were not expected to learn, wasn't necessary for them to learn. It was a waste of time. Uh, but now that's kind of being changed here with what Paul's saying. He's saying, no, within the church, they need to they need to learn. And there's there's reasons for that, which we will get to. But he says, uh, to learn, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Now, Spencer, you had a good uh, breakdown of this. You had, a, you had an outline. People don't know, Spencer wrote an outline for me for the sermon. It was S's. Yeah, but, you know, it's not important um, <laughs> right now. Okay. Uh, I'm going to really try to limit my jokes during this time of the context. Cause, Why is that? Uh, just because, you know, um, it's a serious topic. Um, <laughs> no, I think, I think first of all, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to transition. Little segue there. Transition <laughs> out of this. Really big. Yeah. Transition out of this. Um, so, first of all. Scott's smiling really big over there. <laughs> First of all, um, it's important to, to emphasize right away what women can do and what actually all Christians are called to do, which is, first of all, learn, 
which involves, uh, and I think one of the helpful things is let's let's think about women in the life of Christ's ministry, because we're told in yeah. Luke's gospel that there were a number of women. I think it's Luke chapter eight, the very beginning. It mentions a number by name, specifically women disciples that followed Jesus. Now it's very important to note they were not apostles. Um who were the 12 authorized messengers of Jesus, mm-hmm. but they they were learners and they followed Jesus. They were committed followers of Jesus. Um, we, we read about uh, Mary who sat at Jesus's feet and learned from him um, and listened to him just as much as any of the other 12 men, right? So women have an important place in the, the kingdom of God and in uh, in as members of Christ's, uh, Christ's family and Christ's uh, uh, followers. Um, so women were uh, at the cross. They are actually upheld at the cross, right? Because uh, all the disciples are gone except for John, it seems, at the foot of the cross, except for some women. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So uh, everybody else is gone. So, But the women are there um, at the foot of the cross. And then also, of course, we know the way the Lord privileged women at the uh, resurrection of, of Christ. They were the mm-hmm. first witnesses. Um, and we know that you know, we've probably talked about this before that in the ancient world, if you were starting a uh, cult, you would not have had women as your first witnesses uh, because women were regarded as inferior and their testimony was not highly regarded. Yeah. So the fact that women are the first eyewitness testi- eyewitnesses uh, to the risen Christ is an important clue to the gospel's understanding of um, the Lord often flips things upside down the way we would. So I think it's important to, to highlight the, the valued role of women. Um, and they're also there in, at Pentecost praying with the apostles mm-hmm. in Acts chapter 1. So I think what you see in all of that is a, is a highly active uh, role for women in the life of the community. However, in the order that God has established, um, he has entrusted the teaching office, notice the word office, yeah. to men in the church. Uh, the, the the office of pastor. So what I think is being highlighted here, as we've talked about the context, is the public worship of God. And so what Paul here is emphasizing, just like he did from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, is, is emphasizing the fact that a woman is not to teach because teaching is the authority. I thought you did a really good job, Tim, yeah. of emphasizing the fact that the place that as pastors we exercise authority, if, if we exercise authority any place, it is from the pulpit. Mm-hmm. That's it, what we say from the book. And so far as what we say is the Scripture's truth, that's the authority. And it's not an inherent authority. It's a ministerial authority given to us by Jesus to simply say what his word says. Yeah. And that, But that is called to be a man, to ful- fulfill that office. Um, but that doesn't mean outside of the public gathering that a, uh, a woman cannot, um, you know, teach in, in other circumstances, so to speak. You know, I mean, we do see um, Priscilla and Aquila uh, teaching. Um, uh, who are they teaching? Uh, who is the, the guy? Apollos. Apollos, yeah, right? Apollos. Mm-hmm. Now, that wasn't in a public worship gathering. Uh, Priscilla mm-hmm. was not assuming the role of pastor at that moment. So there is an office that every single member of the church has. Is we, have, we have a general office of believer. And we're all called to teach in that general office. One of the ways we do that is by singing. We address one another mm-hmm. in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So everybody, at some level, is teaching in the public worship of God as a general office believer whenever we sing. Mm-hmm. But whenever we hear the preached word, 
That is to be done by someone filling the office of pastor um, who, who proclaims the word in an authoritative uh, sense and in, a, and in a called place. So I think it's important to say what's being said here, but, but also not to go beyond that because one of the problems that comes with this passage is where women are told, that what Paul is saying is that every single woman in the church is to be submissive to every single man in the church. Mm-hmm. And that's not biblical. No, The women in the church are to be submissive to their own husbands individually, to their own individual husbands. And secondly, just like all people in the church are to um, uh, respect the office of pastor, so women are supposed to respect the office of pastor. But other than that, he's not saying that all women have so, you know, no other man in the church has the right to go around and tell my wife, and I, I don't even go around and tell my wife what to do, right? I'm scared of her. But like, but no one else has the right to go around and say, you have to be submissive to to me because she's not their wife. She's yeah. my wife. Yeah, that's good. And so I think that's just a couple of important things uh, to say. Just to go along that real quick, um, I, I thought you, it was a really um, just good good what you said, you know, Pastor Tim, about this um, text, but I was thinking about, like you said, the ancient world, like, uh, there's no validity in, like, a cult in women's testimonies, right? Yeah. Uh, or eyewitness testimony. And it's the same thing. I, I remember um, le- studying this or learning this some somewhere back in, back in the day or whatever about how Paul would always address Priscilla and Aquila, you know, but Priscilla was the woman. She was the wife, and he, she would always be first. And in the ancient world, that would have like, whenever you address, you know, a person, it was always to a man. And the fact that it's like you said, the kingdom of God is flipped, you know, it's like Jesus says, how can you gain your life? You have to lose it. You know, it's these contrasts. And I think it's interesting that Paul, you know, referenced Priscilla first, uh, not because I, I don't, like you said, you, you made it, you know, it's not because, you know, he was esteeming her into this office. Cause obviously that's contrary to what, you know, the new Testament teaches, but as a, value you know as yeah. a, a sense of like a respect that he and then he gave his letter to the roman or for to the you know the romans the epistle to the romans he gave it to phoebe a servant of the church it says in romans 16 to take on a ship across the mediterranean uh, sea to rome to deliver it so i thought you know I, I was thinking about that yesterday in your sermon and i thought you know how god uses the whole body of Christ, and there's these different roles and uh, kingdom uses that we see. So, yeah, that's what I wanted to add to your little mm, statement. That's good. Yeah, this is one of those uh, parts that you, you can't just go verse by verse without understanding what's coming up either to help you interpret this. Yeah. You know, you couldn't just take verse 11 there, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness, and read that away from chapter 3. Um, or even verse 12 mm-hmm. that is coming because that's where then we know how to interpret it. So basically you read, you would read verse 11 and you might think, huh, that's interesting. What does that mean? Well, you have to keep reading to understand what it means uh, because of the teaching and authority that is coming up. And, and so the ladies there are asked to learn uh, quietly and submissively, but that's exactly what I would ask of the men in the church to do when the preaching is happening. Mm-hmm. I want you to be quiet. And I want you to be submissive to the word of God now. So sit there and listen. Yep. Right? It's a, it's the same thing. Uh, but he goes on to talk about teaching and authority. And as you guys have done your best to be diplomatic in showing how Scripture speaks well of women, which was good. I'm glad that you guys did that. Uh, 
I did that as well in the sermon of talking about how, of course, it doesn't mean no teaching, which you said, Spencer, mm-hmm. right? There's tons of times in Scripture where the women are told to teach. They're called to teach. Um, they're called to do that. But a lot of times we just look at the negative. We just look at, oh, this, you, can't, you can't teach at all. No, that's not what's being said. And sadly, there's probably women in our church who would be great at teaching, great at doing this, but they feel maybe they're not allowed or whatever. And I hope that's not the case. But um, it means that authoritative preaching, which then we could have a discussion about authority in the church. And Spencer, you brought that up uh, a little bit there, that you know when we get married, we see in Ephesians 5, it talks about submission, how the wives submit to the husband and the husband leads there and you're very right that um my wife is to submit to me not to anybody else Mm -hmm. but what we do see and we water this down um and i know maybe i shouldn't be the i don't know who else would say it uh is as a church we do submit to the authority that god has given us in the local church which he's getting ready to talk about pastors elders and deacons and so while my wife is to submit to me as her husband, it would be expected of her, though, if I wasn't the pastor here and we moved and let's say we went to church somewhere else and I wasn't the pastor there, she should submit to the pastoral authority within mm-hmm. the church. Mm-hmm. And that needs to be male leadership, according to Scripture. And so I'm not the only male then that she would be submitting to. She'd be submitting to him in that position of authority, of teaching, of what we're talking about here in the public gathering in the in the local church. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know that's a struggle for some people to think through and to talk through. They wouldn't like that kind of uh, language. I didn't think it needed to be brought up in the message yesterday, but it's something that can be brought up now. Mm-hmm. But uh, we have watered down, I think, in churches the authority of the pastor because yeah. of fear yeah. that we see, which is true, of leaders taking advantage of their position and abusing it. Mm-hmm. But just because too many people have abused the authority of leadership doesn't mean you take leadership and get rid of it. It's similar to the C.S. Lewis quote that I read at the end of the yeah. of the message of where a lot of times you honor the man in the uniform because of the uniform, not because of the man. Mm-hmm. And C.S. Lewis went on to say, just because men have messed it up doesn't mean that you take and get rid of all men and say, well, they obviously can't do it anymore. Let's let the women do it. No, mm-hmm. it's sin. And when if women did it, guess what? It'd be messed up too because they're sinners and that's not the proper order. That's not how God designed it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have to make sure that we have the authority that God wants there to be within church, within the public gathering, and that that is respected and that that is honored as well and that it's taken seriously. And some might hear me saying this and think, well, this is a pastor just wanting more authority. Um, no. I think what has happened is as we water down authority, what you see is you see the word of God being watered down in many pulpits because those people don't, the, the pastors don't take their authority seriously. And if you actually take the authority that God has given you seriously as a pastor, then you are going to stick to the word of God and you're going to make sure that the things you're saying only come from the word of God. So like an example would be last night we had a deacon ordination and afterwards I said, now let's all go to the fellowship hall and have cake. Well, some people probably left. Did they abuse? They didn't listen to my authority. I said to go, right? Well, no, at that moment, I said, I'm not authoritative at that moment, right? But 
in the reverse of that, when preaching, when preaching the word of God here, and like when we're talking to the men, you should pray with holy hands, not quarreling, not in anger. You guys need to deal with anger. They should look at me as an authority figure saying, deal with your anger. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying this lightly. I'm not saying this to coddle you or to be nice with you. There's no maybe later. No, I'm telling you as your authority figure right now here from the word of God, you need to deal with this. Ladies, you need to check your heart. Why are you coming to church? You're trying to be looked at, right? Are you trying to make this about you? You need to deal with that, right? <clears throat> that is authority that needs to be uh, remembered mm-hmm. in a lot of places and taken very seriously so that if you are going to have that authority, that you make sure what you are saying is right and true, yeah. right? And I think that's why a passage like this is so hard to preach because it is a controversial topic and you want to handle it correctly and well. And if you really believe that the authority that God has given you to preach this is the, is true authority, then you're going to care about what's said, right? You're not going to just do it haphazardly. You're going to want to make sure that what I am saying from that pulpit is right and true and accurate. I think one of the things you did, we didn't, it wasn't really in the sermon. It kind of, um, but why, what is behind the fact that this is controversial? I guess is one of the things I would think it would what be. What do you mean in our culture? I, I guess, yeah, because, and I'll say one of the things that comes to mind that I, I think uh, C.S. Lewis actually in that, that quote you read from the article there, he points out that so often today we view the idea of equality as meaning interchangeability. Right, yeah, yeah. And so what we're actually saying is is we don't really even want men or women. We just want to neuter. That's what I meant with the gender being yeah. blurred and why it's so confusing now is because right. yeah, we we want to we want to blur the line so much of gender that it's like we don't see gender. Which is interesting yeah. because yeah. we've done that, well, I'm not trying to open any cans, but that used to be the saying with race. I don't see color. Mm-hmm. Now that's actually a bad thing to say. <laughs> right, you have to see color and recognize. I don't know if that's where we'll get with gender again at some point. <laughs> but, yeah, but yeah, we try to blur the lines to where we say a woman can do everything a man can do, and a man can do everything a woman can do, mm-hmm. and you can't fight that. And so then when the church stands up and says, "Well, a woman can't stand here in the pulpit and preach," like, well, why right. not? Mm-hmm. Well, because that's what the Word of God says here, yeah. right? And that's right. what starts to make it so controversial which is going to lead to why paul where paul gets with the creation well and and also they're hearing especially in our context here if you're saying a woman cannot take the role of a pastor you've talked about authority and one of the things we have today Mm -hmm. today especially we view authority as oppressive as power power powerful Mm -hmm. and oppressive and therefore there's also a lens of looking at this as this is just another mechanism another way for men to oppress women. And I guess that's, I'm just thinking about why do people, why are people opposed to this? And I think on the one hand, there's this idea that of interchangeability, that that's what equality must mean. Um, or at least that's what they, they presuppose that even right. if they don't verbalize that. And second of all, there's a fear, which we all should have at some level of authority being abused. And therefore this could be simply, um, one gender or sex abusing another um, in a state of in a, in a in almost a a permanent state of inferiority, as if that's what pastoral office is about. 
which we don't think that is. Um, but I guess that's kind of where people are coming to when they read this text. And the, the, the problem is, this is kind of the ironic thing, right? We're actually celebrating true diversity that actually exists in, bi- in biology with men and women. But what the, uh, the tendency in our society right now is towards a, a bland, unitary humanity that doesn't have gender distinctions at all. So we're actually the, it's ironic in a world that celebrates diversity theoretically, we're actually the, the church. If you're actually following the scripture, you're actually following an appropriate diversity and celebrating an appropriate diversity um, with something that God has actually created with diverse roles um, and celebrating the complementary way those things can work together in a mutual, uplifting, edifying, upbuilding way. Um, and so I don't know. It's just kind of it's just kind of ironic in a sense too. Yeah, but and God has put safeguards though for the authority. We haven't got there yet in Timothy, but Paul Paul tells Timothy to entrust this to other men, to other elders and pastors. And so what we see really in a church structure is there shouldn't be the single pastor on his own out there with no with no accountability. There should that's the pastor elder role, uh, and that's where. It can't be. It shouldn't become authoritative, authoritarian. Then, mm-hmm. right? Because you're working as a, as a group. But sadly, in church life, especially like in a in a smaller church and stuff, where it's like there is only one pastor here, and we have forty people. I think what the role of that pastor should be. Part of it is to find some men in the church to surround himself with to help keep him accountable, so that that doesn't happen. He doesn't abuse his authority. People who will speak to him. And so churches need to make sure that that's happening, make sure that that's taking place. And God establishes that in his word. Well, and one of the mechanisms, too, uh, we believe, is the local church is the one that made him the pastor. The local church is the yeah. one that can ultimately hold him accountable and revoke that call. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, the the, the really da- – but but sadly, you're right. Um, it, it can be abused. And, and the reality is, too, is if a group of local church elders are not accountable to the congregation, th- that group can also do the same yeah, stuff right. as a team yep. that a single individual could do. So, sure. um, yeah, sorry. No, that's good. So real quick, uh, so we can wrap this up, Paul then grounds this <clears throat> of what he has said uh, in – Creation. He says, for Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing, if they continue in faith, love, holiness, with self-control. And so the reason we know that this isn't cultural is because Paul doesn't go to culture or something recent to argue this. What he does is he goes to creation, and he shows how Adam was formed first. Eve came from Adam, and that this points to some authority. This points to some leadership. Uh, He then talks about Eve being deceived, the fact that Eve was deceived by the serpent. Eve then goes to Adam and tells Adam to eat of it, and then Adam listens to Eve. It doesn't say that Adam was deceived, which leads some commentators to think what Adam was doing there was pleasing his wife, was even though he knew the law of God, he listened to the law of his wife more to make her happy. Look, she's ate of it. I'm going to do that too. I'm going to join her in this as a good husband, knowing that he shouldn't do that. And, and so he lets her lead in that. And so the roles were reversed. And, that, and so then in, in the curses, when, when God speaks with the serpent, when he speaks with Eve, and when he speaks with Adam, we see that play out in the curses. Because to Eve, he's, he says, um, because of this, you are going to fight 
right? You're going to fight against your husband's authority. And then he says to Adam, because you have listened to your wife, right? Because you let her lead, now life is going to be hard. You're going to have to work for food from the sweat of your brow, all this, right? All this stuff comes through there. Um, And so we've dealt with that since then. And that's, you know, Spencer asked that question, why is this so difficult? Why is, because of the curse, (laughs) because of sin, it's bound to be. Yeah, that's what I was going to say earlier is that in the curse, that's where we find why there's specifically between a man and a wife, such a pushback and a, a friction between God's design is because the curse has affected our natures to the point where we want to go against God's design, right? He tells Eve, your desire shall be for your husband and he will rule over you, mm-hmm. right? So you have there a, a pushback of wanting of, to usurp God's design, but then also husbands misusing their authority, ruling over heavy-handedly, going back to this mm-hmm. idea of hands, mm-hmm. with their wives. And so it's just a, it's a, we've, it's a, the creation order has been reversed and right and messed up. But this is an important topic because it is cemented in creation. So when we start talking about leadership here in a moment, you know, in the coming weeks of, uh, and what we've been saying today about the teaching and authority in the life of the church needs to be men. It would be very easy for us. It'd be much easier as a church to say, well, it's men and women culturally. It'd be very easy for us to do that because that's what the culture expects. But we fight against that because Paul grounds it in creation. He doesn't ground it in culture. And what you mean by that more specifically is that in creation, it's creation before the fall. Yes. Before sin entered the world, which that creation was declared good Mm -hmm. by God. Yep. Yep. And so this design, this order that he's created in these relationships is good. Yeah, and so that's why, you know, you'll hear some people say, like, why does the church grab onto homosexuality and that's such a big issue? And we would say, because it's grounded in creation before sin that this is what it's supposed to be. So it, it's a big issue. Or this, too, women in leadership in the church, Pastor. Why is this such a big deal, man? Just just let women go. Who cares, right? Well, because it was grounded in creation. And so we can't just let it go, right? And that that's why we we fight for it, and that's why we take the stands uh, that we do. I think it's important for people to yeah, know that. You, you mean, cause if you just let it go, so to speak, you're essentially saying that what God has called good is bad, right? You've just found yourself opposing God Yeah. in that moment. Yeah. It's a big deal. Yeah. That was a good comment, Scott. So why don't you finish this out with verse 15? Tell us what that means, please. Huh? Uh, I forgot my Bible. I can't. <laughs> you forgot your, you got your phone. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't there for the just sermon like yesterday. Oh, just so. like a teenager. <laughs> I have my Bible. You have a phone and the Bible's on it. Ask Lucas. He's calling you right now. All right. Hey, Lucas. <laughs> we've got a phone a friend yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. You're on live. You're on live. You're live. Go ahead, Lucas. That would have been so funny. I should have done that. Yeah. Oh, man. All right. Real quick. Verse 15. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. What's this saying? If you want to go to heaven, no, ladies? <laughs> no, obviously, like what you said, it's not a justification through childbearing. Um, <clears throat> that's not what's being said. It is interesting, though, that it does say, yet she, not they, uh, talking about the woman individually, she will be saved through childbearing. And 
That's why some go to Genesis three fifteen. Yeah, and say that what's being referenced here right. with Paul is really the Messiah being born from a woman, which will crush the serpent. Right. Um, well, and I think I think there's a sense in which both these could be blended because he says yeah. if she she will be saved as she continues through faith and childbearing, if they. So she he does the single right, and then the plural. And I'll say this real quick, and I'll try to tie them together and see. This is just kind of a off the top of my mind thing but like on the one hand how did god save the world and bring about redemption well he let the woman still be a woman he used her function mm-hmm. or i shouldn't say fu- that's not her he used the the unique gift like you said earlier <laughs> soft off his head remember he don't have soft top. I'm, I'm speaking dumb it's getting good he used as, <laughs> as pastor tim brought out the unique <laughs> gift that women have is the ability to give birth to children mm-hmm. that yeah. is the i mean it's like yeah that is that is a one of the most distinctive hallmarks of women, right? Um, and so the but so God saves the world by using the woman as a woman and doesn't like um, throw that away. Mm-hmm. So even then by it's a beautiful thing actually, what she because if you look at Genesis three the Genesis three story, the woman is, is embarrassed and shamed by the fact that she was deceived by the serpent. But God restores her dignity by promising that through her womanness, she will be the means by which the Savior of the world will come. And that is, in a sense, then a highlight to the the restoration of the of of uh, the dignity of womanhood as a whole. I think, in a sense, too, where all all Christian women. They're not Mary, the mother, you know, the mother of the Lord, but in a sense, they are the daughters of Mary in the sense of, of uh, their womanhood is re- is 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 given its dignity. Uh, is, is there's a certain sense in which by being a believer in Jesus Christ, uh, you don't you don't have to become a man or become a neuter or try to uh, change your gender. There's a wonderful reality that you can be saved and and you contribute greatly to the church of God uh, in in a way that is um, the church is it is really incomplete without women. And God it, yeah. shows us this even with like Rahab yes. being a part of the genealogy Tamar. of Christ, right? You have some some women that if you would look at their past and stuff, you think, gosh, they're worth like, like that. Yeah. They have Tamar, the wife life. of Uriah. Right. And but yet God uses them. And how does he do that? He uses their womanhood, mm-hmm. their womanhood yes. for that. And and it seems like in the culture that Paul was talking to, that was starting to get downplayed greatly in Ephesus. There seemed to be some sort of feminist movement within Ephesus at the time of telling women that this wasn't needed. The the other thought was that the false teachers had gotten to the point here that they were starting to teach that Christ had already returned and that everything that they were dealing with was bad, kind of Gnostic. And so that the false teachers were teaching within the church to start avoiding the pleasures of life, one of which would have been uh, marriage and sex, and -hmm. saying, no, you should be celibate. And now Paul was that. Paul was celibate. But Paul, what they're saying is the reason that Paul would put this in is saying, no, you go be be the woman that God has called Mm -hmm. you to be and designed you to be. And don't be ashamed of that, Mm -hmm. right? Be a good wife. Be a good mother. uh, Be a woman. And, mm-hmm. and God will use that and because it because it when I say if they continue in faith love holiness and self-control right. and that's that's what we do as a as a believer and saying as a believer as a Christian go 
be the Christian woman God wants you to be. Uh, so that was a that was another thought there of what yeah. of what was taking place in the church that maybe Paul was fighting against. And it's a reaffirmation of what what we've already said of God's design for women of mm-hmm. how He designed yeah. them to be. Right, <laughs> this command to learn with submissiveness to not have authority over a man that would be usurping God's design. We see what happened to Adam and Eve and the curse came when that role was reversed. Mm-hmm. And so he's encouraging them live within the design that God has gifted you with. This is how he's gifted you now live in that. Yeah. I think also there's the aspect of not simply gifting it, but restored to you because everything that was lost in the fall in the fall in the first creation is restored yeah. to us in the second creation. Yeah, exactly. So there's a sense in which um, even I don't deny that, every marriage even of unbelievers is a true marriage. I'm not saying that, but I am saying there is a unique sense in because of because Christ is in a is in believers and believers are in Christ and therefore he's in the marriage. There's a sense in which that marriage is even further restored and sanctified um in God's image, I think, to be able to live generally speak these are general things I'm saying, right? It's not like every single instance, but um there's a wonderful thing that the second Adam, whenever he restores that, he restores marriage. He restores what was lost in creation um, and brings it back into harmony. Um, and, and that includes that includes even marriage and, yep. and child rearing and all of that yep. stuff. Yeah, and so that verse was a, is another hard one. Honestly, verse 15, as you study it, you will find a lot of people not even talk about it. You will find those who do talk about it all say that it's a very difficult verse to understand, to interpret of exactly what Paul means. But it's one of those times when you can say, I know Paul doesn't mean this. There's no way he means justification because there's women who physically can't have children. And at some time in Paul's life in Corinthians, where he says, it's good to be single. If you can do it, go ahead. He wouldn't say that if the only way for a lady to be saved was by having a kid. Uh, and so you have to do a good job of, of studying that passage to, to grasp it. And there is a fear there, you know, of, like even ladies in our church who maybe have tried to have children and can't, they look at that verse and think, see, I'm not even a full woman. And that's not what Paul's, that's not what Paul's getting at here. And I, I hope that nobody takes that uh, from that at all. That's not the meaning of it. All right. Well, we're going to continue on in chapter three uh, next week. I don't know how many verses do all of one through seven or something. I don't know yet. Uh, I was thinking through that a little bit this morning, <clears throat> came to no conclusion. So anyways, Read uh, read chapter 3, and we really hope to see you this coming Sunday as we do that. But until then, have a great week. God bless.